Welcome to the India Fintech Diaries, the only podcast focused exclusively on the Indian fintech market. I'm Elroy. And I'm Himan. In each episode, we dive into the latest trends, ideas, innovations, business models, and personalities that are shaping India's fintech landscape. We also invite amazing guests who are innovators and industry players that are driving the change that is helping make financial services more modern, innovative, and inclusive in India. Come join us as we explore the changing landscape of fintech in India. Welcome back to India Fintech Diaries, the show where we discuss all things Indian fintech. I have with me my co-host, Hemant. A few weeks ago, we began a new series where we looked at investments and investing in Indian fintechs. Today, to discuss this topic further, we have with us Melissa Frackman, CEO and founding partner of Emphasis Ventures or EMVC. Welcome to India Fintech Diaries, Melissa. Thank you, Elroy and Hemant. It's such a pleasure to be here. Melissa, it was great meeting you in person at uh, Money 2020 over at Las Vegas. I hope you had a great time at the event. How was the vibe at the event? Talk to us a little bit about your impressions. Oh, the vibe The vibe was great as always. Um, you know, every year I attend Money 2020 and catch up with uh, my colleagues and friends in the U.S. fintech ecosystem. And to be honest, there was less of a focus on Asia or India than previous years. Okay. Um, everybody was really focused on sort of U.S. banks, and it was a very U.S.-centric scene. Yeah. Uh, but it was great to see everyone, and so great to see uh, Zita really featured prominently. All of us in the Indian fintech ecosystem were very proud, proud to see that and excited to see uh, lots more companies from South Asia uh, come to the U.S. Melissa, you've been associated with India for over a decade now, with a particular emphasis on investing in India. Talk to us a little bit about yourself and how India happened. Sure. So I I have been working in India now for 17 years. And there's an expression, third culture kid, which I think summarizes how I am well, which is that I'm, you know, I'm Canadian and, and American and live in, in New York in the US, but I'm equally comfortable in India. Um, I started my career in the mid 2000s in microfinance, working with MFIs on the ground, uh, which is where okay. I learned Hindi and ended up studying at IIM Ahmedabad. Um, this led me to working with global companies such as MasterCard, MoneyGram, NCR, Remitly as their product lead and advisor on navigating India, um, including participating in early rounds of what are now kind of the household name payments companies in India. I became closely involved in policymaking, including le- leading industry groups in payments, wealth management, banking, and having opportunity to be the fintech point person with RBI, Finance Ministry, the IPP, even Prime Minister Modi's first visit to the U.S., uh, and worked with U.S. Treasury Department and White House in their bilateral work with India, and took on operating roles, including Zomato, which included how they were thinking about restaurant and merchant payments globally. And, and international expansion in the years leading up to the IPO. And so over the years, I was advising exceptional Indian startups that were vastly underappreciated in the global market. And Emphasis Ventures, EMBC, grew out of our work serving as the bridge between U.S., international, and Indian brilliant minds, um, sort of building the future of fintech. That's extremely impressive, Melissa. It really gives a lot of perspective on how you've been associated with India over the years. I would also want to understand uh, your views on how Indian fintech has evolved over the last decade. You must have had a ringside view to the whole journey as well. Yeah, I mean, not only ringside view, but frankly, I feel privileged that the, just the timing of my career 
was yeah. alongside the timing of India developing as a global leader in digital finance. And the reason why I'm so committed to this, honestly, for my entire life, like we're, we're very long term investors with a multi decade view on this is, is that I've seen, uh, that this is still early days for all the development right. that happened and all the exciting things that have happened that you talk about on your podcast. There is still so much more, more to come. So in terms of, you know, the, the, it's hard to summarize an entire ecosystem briefly, but I would say, you know, there's always been deep financial services minds in India. And, and even since independence, sort of India has grown really interesting, solid banking institutions and, uh, legacy financial institutions and a relatively robust equity markets. Over the years in the 90s, post 91 liberalization, there started to be sort of more foreign investment into insurance, into global Indian banks and otherwise, and further development of the Indian public markets. And it was only in the sort of early mid 2000s that the uh, tech talent, deep tech talent of the IT sector in India that was booming, sort right. of started to move toward, you know, building in financial services. And we started to see the early movers on mobile wallets and payments and, and kind of thin ops in terms of how uh, large companies do their, their operations. And then obviously, you know, fast forwarding, there was major developments on financial inclusion where India and Bangladesh were absolutely global leaders on what's possible for microfinance and leveraging credit and bank accounts and moving uh, the underserved into the formal financial ecosystem. Um, and then fast forwarding to all of these things were sort of underway. It was already very exciting. You know, if you're interested in this period of time and you're younger, you could read something like Raghuram Rajan's 10,000 Steps that talks about sort of the financial reforms they were thinking about in those era. And then obviously we get to Modi and we get to um, the year of demonetization and GST yeah. implementation, which just was this tipping point that everything was already there and the innovation was already there. But it accelerated, I think, what would have happened over five or 10 years into a year in terms of consumer adoption of payments. Right as well as digital adoption of micro and small businesses. Um, and since then, it's just been a wild ride, you know, very rocky in the week to week terms, but up and to the right in terms of innovation and development in the ecosystem. And things are really flourishing. I mean, my global peers at venture funds can't believe that we're fintech focused in India and see thousands of companies. Melissa, you have been involved in US and India, two of the most vibrant fintech ecosystems. And over the years, we have seen a strong transition in themes which are running our most prominent ones. So in the last few years, if you could talk about what are the most interesting fintech themes that you have seen emerged in US and India. And earlier, I think in some way, India themes were following what was in US, starting with payments and then lending. But now we are seeing also companies emerging very much solving very India problems with Indian talent focused on Indian consumers. So if you could just shed some lights or you, light or your views on the key themes that you see in both US and India. So I'd say, you know, it makes sense to kind of contrast them first. You know, the yeah. US has honestly simpler regulatory framework for startups. It's much easier to just get a startup up and running and raise initial money through a safe note in the US. 
Yeah. Uh, and clearly larger monetization opportunities for fintech startups, you know, being able to charge different kinds of transaction fees, uh, MDR, all those things. And then obviously ticket sizes for transactions are higher. Uh, so companies that are targeting either, you know, payments or AUM or deposits have sort of more to work with, if you will. Yeah. However, in my view, India is ahead of the US on these things with higher consumer adoption, like the average Indian in a tier three town somewhere is much more digitally savvy about how to use payments on their phone than an equivalent person underserved in a tier three city in the US. India has faster iteration of innovation and sort of moves faster in terms of trying new things. Definitely faster payments. I mean, real-time payments are unheard of in the US right now. And then obviously a deeper infrastructure with the open architecture of, you know, everything, ADAR, EKYC, UPI, et cetera, to support innovation that is being just talked about. And, and actually yeah. the CFPB in the U.S. announced an open banking framework last week, but That's it's right. very early days and it doesn't exist in the U.S. Both countries have sort of a diverse customer demographics within the country, like from state to state in both U.S. and India, your customer preferences and the way they engage with fintech will be different. Uh, both have a government that is interested in encouraging innovation and both have legacy banks that have terrible apps that need disrupting. I would say that the, the common themes across both countries, you know, to really zoom out to the 10,000 foot level would be access, expanding access. Uh, digital finance has always been available to the top 1% in both countries in many ways. And expanding the convenience and benefits and low cost nature and delight of using fintech products for consumers out into kind of lower in the economic pyramid is a theme in both markets and continues to be digitizing insurance and the way ma uh, risk is managed yeah. is still an early theme in both countries that hasn't even hit its tipping point in my view, you know, very early days, both countries have a lot of a theme is sort of uh, bringing tech into the capital markets with different kinds of robo advisory wealth management ria models um, for digitization and then and then both a very sort of hot theme right now is infrastructure and how you build the architecture in between consumers businesses banks uh, reporting etc uh, to make financial services completely seamless Understood. Understood. Melissa, now focusing on two leading questions from what you just explained, primarily on the B2C side, there is a view emerging that, right, everyone wants to target the top 1% of the Indian market because the emerging theme or view is that running a profitable fintech is pretty much only possible with the top cream layer of the customers. Now, since those are limited and everyone wants those customers, acquiring them is becoming increasingly more expensive as more firms vie for it. So what's your view on, on this emerging dynamics? I mean, and that would be true, by the way, to your last question in US and India as well. I mean, the marketing fits yep. if you're targeting sort of urban, already digitized, already using fintech customers is very high. And I, and I would add, because I love thinking about this stuff, that there's also in both countries, a changing demographic where the users are younger and sort of more internet native. Yep. And so the kinds of marketing needed for these users and for these products and even to reach businesses is going to be changing. 
both in the India and the US. I would say to that common view that people like to talk about, about how it's impossible to make money in sort of the mass market in India, mm. that there's some truth and some laziness in that. <laughs> it's obviously very challenging in a market where for a business to really succeed at scale, it has to have mega volume um, and scale and then sort of low margin and, and scale in that way. Obviously, yeah. there's there's inherent challenges in that. But I also think that that's that's the inherent opportunity. I mean, the very nature of innovation in India is solving for the local market. And we have seen businesses be able to build very large, lasting businesses serving the mass market in India. They are fewer and farther in between. But I am still bullish and Emphasis Ventures will continue to invest in companies that are working on bringing innovation in business models and revenue models not just in technology, to be able to build sustainable business for the last mile. Got it. And the fo uh, follow-up question, Melissa, from that. Now, if to win in the market, there is one option to go through the cream layer where the cost of acquisition has become higher. Second option is to go behind the mass market, but where you need massive volumes, which would require at initial stage, good amount of funds or deep pockets to go through it. And considering that the Indian funding environment seems to be shifting where more money is now flowing through to the more mature firms than the earlier stage company like earlier. So do you see in the future the entry of barrier, which was much lower when it comes to fintech startups, is going up and the number of fintech startups starting up and growing fast would start becoming slightly more difficult in the country than earlier? Honestly, no. I think that there will always be entrepreneurs uh, that see problems in their backyard in markets mm. all over India, like sort of micro markets ready to innovate and build companies. And I don't see this current, perhaps fleeting trend within the venture space in India affecting the propensity of the entrepreneurial spirit in India to, to not start exciting companies and products. Um, I do think that there's also more global capital and investors looking at the market and understanding how important the kind of inclusion, access, big scale uh, businesses are. And so I think the, the trend you're describing in capital um, will also be offset by other investors coming in who understand that. And two, I think that, that how India is extremely fast paced, the tech sector and especially the fintech sector, and things change very quickly. So what's true today might not be true even in two quarters from now. Um, but these, these are massive kind of generational challenges that, that deserve people building in them who have sort of a generational system changing outlook and shouldn't be, um, at the whim of like quarter by quarter funding trends. I think a lot of what you're uh, talking about, Melissa, is also kind of kind of echoed in the statistics. So very recently, uh, BCG put out a report uh, that put Indian fintech growing at about uh, a 20% CAGR. And in the last five years, uh, it's gained about $29 billion in investments or as a larger share as 14% of the global fintech investments. But if you look at more recent quarters, right, uh, funding's actually shrunk to just about $815 million. And the average ticket size has also plummeted by almost 58% to about $15 million. So I just want to get your views. Uh, uh, how does this funding crunch actually affect fintechs, uh, mainly in the short term? Because in the long term, I think the future is definitely bright. But uh, the short term is definitely going to be challenging. So 
I can speak from our portfolio that yeah. rounds that um, have a lot of interest and align with themes that funds already are looking at, especially generalist funds that are not sector focused like us, right, are right. still getting closed at great yeah. valuations for the founders right now. And I would say generally, other rounds that are that are underway or happening are still closing, just okay. at moderated valuations from where they were four to six months ago. And perhaps they're taking a little bit longer to raise. But I don't see at the early stages, sort of pre-seed to Series B in India currently, that right. there is of a crunch or that it has really affected kind of the top quarter of, of startups in the market. I think that's great to hear, Melissa. And also, I think it's a great time to segue into EMVC. Talk to us a little bit about your fund and what kind of firms you look at investing in. What's been your funding philosophy? Sure, sure. So Emphasis Ventures, we go by EMVC, is a venture capital firm focused on early stage investing in the future of digital financial technology, insurance and commerce in high growth global markets. Um, and okay. as we talked about, we believe that India is five to 10 years ahead of most fintech markets in the world. And therefore we invest actively both in Indian startups as well as those emerging markets inspired by India. So the EM okay. in emphasis is a nod to how India as a digital innovation leader has already emerged and following in its footsteps are another 50 emerging markets. We've invested in uh, over 25 Indian fintech startups with an enterprise value now over 1 billion US in our portfolio um, and serve as a hands-on partner to our portfolio on things like their global growth strategy, regulatory engagement, uh, marketing, and of course, hiring uh, with our work at a fintech platform. And then in the US, we are sort of hardcore evangelists and build partnerships for our Indian portfolio companies, which has led to some really exciting outcomes, some of which haven't been announced yet. Uh, in terms of cross-border partnerships. So we, our funding philosophy is to invest in the best founders at the earliest stage possible. So we lead pre-seeds and participate in seed and A um, with reserves to follow on for multiple rounds after that. And within fintech, we define it very broadly, everything from commerce enablement to insure tech to FinOps to sort of core mainstream fin fintech, if you will. Um, and really excited about our long-term thesis about how India is inspiring the rest of the world on these things. Melissa, when you uh, when a fintech firm pitches an investment to you, what are the typically the top three things you look for while making a decision to invest in that particular firm? Mm -hmm. I'd say it's it's mostly founder, founder, founder. We're at the early stages for venture. Uh, we feel that it's entirely betting on the founding team and their ability to execute because also part of doing business in India and especially financial services, it's inevitably the market is changing quickly, which means right. the startups are agile and almost inevitably will pivot in some way uh, during their journey. So it's, it's mostly about the entrepreneurs. We look for people that are extremely sort of intelligent, but also kind of intuitive about their users, whether those users are individuals or businesses, as well as we look for a very strong sense of the market already. So if a founder is completely clueless about, you know, the market they're jumping into, given the complexity level of financial services, how highly regulated it is, how much it involves deep partnerships and integrations with lots of players, you know, everyone from a bank to all the various SaaS companies that you would need to integrate yeah. with, as well as the open infrastructure like UPI, it requires, uh, we feel, 
business leaders that really already have a great understanding of that space. So those are the main things. Um, we also like just creativity. We think that India is exceptionally complex and therefore it requires a bit of sort of genius and creativity to really cut through the noise and build something that is system changing and legitimately changes the lives of users or consumers. Um, and so all of those things are among the top that we look for. Great. Melissa, to just add a little more color to what you just spoke about your portfolio, it would be great to hear about some of your star investments and what was your hypothesis that you had while investing in them? Well, I like to consider that they're all stars. <laughs> of course. Uh, of course. <laughs> so it's hard to pick, but that I will, um, you know, for the record, these are randomly selected kind of thing. Um, yeah. To talk about a few. You know, an example of how broad we look at fintech would be our portfolio company clinic c-l-i-n-i-k that we feel like is taking on the very audacious and very challenging ambitious goal of reforming basically access to healthcare and health insurance in india so beyond a distribution platform for digital insurance they've uh figured out through their years in the medical industry the founders are both a surgeon and an engineer um, that the, the real, you know, impediment to access for Indian financial services is costs. And the only way to really reduce costs is change the way healthcare is delivered. So clinic is building both, you know, India's fastest growing digital health insurance product, but also physical clinic in a box that actually does 80% of primary healthcare for its subscribers. Um, and companies like Ola, are, are you partnering with clinic to to offer it to all of their drivers? So that's really exciting and an example of what I just described, where it's right. bold and creative. Um, and we think those are the kinds of solutions that are, are required um, for India. Another example would be Kata Book, where we think Ravish and team have built something extremely localized for Indian context. It's not a company that would have popped up randomly in many other places. And the way they've been able to grow from their initial virality, launching the Kata book product, which of course digitized the Kata that was already, you know, very like ubiquitous across all yep. Kirabi shops and SMEs into something that is now the operating system for literally millions of MSMEs in terms of how they engage, advertise, work with their consumers, figure out inventory, et cetera. Um, and how much financial services you can deliver on top of that is extremely exciting. And another example of something that's system changing. Our portfolio company Bureau, which is based in Bangalore, but has a very global outlook, is, is leveraging learnings and kind of operating best practices from engaging in India on being a fraud identity risk solution for emerging markets, internet first companies. And using sort of their India presence and, again, how strong a product has to be to serve businesses in India really well to go global. And they already have customers all over the world uh, using Bureau as a fraud and risk solution based on sort of how significant its innovation is relative to its peers in the U.S. and otherwise. Got it. Melissa, very interesting. And just based on the breadth of the ideas just you spoke about that illustrates that the definition of fintech that you take up when you say that emvc is fintech focused is a very broad definition to say if there is a problem 
which can be solved by a combination of financial te- and technology, basically financial provision and technology, that would be something that would be very keen and interesting for you. Exactly. Right? Um, I mean, it's cliche to say everything is fintech. In part, <laughs> we believe that, but but also this this layer of how finance happens um, that enables any commerce to happen around the world is of interest to us. And again, we really lead with an India-centric view of the world where we think there's a lot of global solutions um, and best practices that can be learned in India for other markets. Just one more example is our portfolio company, Gram Cover, which is uh, India's largest and first mover digital insurance brokerage for rural India. We get inbound outreach from insurtechs in across Africa and somebody in Uruguay and Mexico saying we'd love to learn from Gromcover about how we can do digital insurance in rural markets in our countries. True, Melissa. Gromcover is pretty impressive. Um, I've also gone through them, met them as well. But yeah, absolutely brilliant idea. Melissa, there's one thing that is now spoken about much. I think India is leading in that as well, is that we have got a very hyperactive regulator in all the areas, right? Whether it is IRD, AI or RBI and everyone. Of course, they are working because I think digital is, is expanded to people in the nooks and corners of the country before financial literacy could reach there. So the digital has reached first. So the consumption has started, but literacy may take some time. And regulator wants to make sure that they are taken care of. Having said that, that also creates a bit of uncertainty when it comes to investing in Indian fintechs. So how, how are you handling that kind of risk which now exists in the environment? Rather than hyperactive, I might say enthusiastic. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a better word. That's a better word. Um, yeah. Look, I sincerely have a lot of respect for the RBI and finance ministry and, and SEBI, honestly, uh, in India and IRDA. I think that while sometimes they can be a bit heavy handed in their approach to implementation, of rules, particularly as it affects early startups that don't have the resources to comply and pivot quickly. I think that the spirit behind the policymaking that's happening is mostly very good. The regulators are not out in India to hurt business. They're there to, you know, a lot of the the policies that the fintechs are talking about right now have the spirit behind them of consumer protection and preventing very marginalized communities and users with very low disposable income from getting hurt. Uh, in the market. However, what we as a fintech industry and particularly what earlier stage fintech companies need is just more transparency and predictability in the rulemaking. So mm. with a more consultative process, more kind of heads up and forewarning for circulars and, and stuff that's coming down the pipeline, that would solve a lot of the, the current challenges that, that fintechs are talking about in India. And so you know, for me as as a advisor and partner to our portfolio companies, I tend to think it's all good. And part of this is just honestly doing business in India involves engaging and being ahead of the curve with with the regulator and policymakers. But I do think that more of a consultative approach and pulling together more founders to go talk to regulators and it not be such a black box will be a step in the right direction to solve some of these um, surprises that have happened recently. Absolutely. That, that makes sense. And Melissa, now to bit of crystal gaze or crystal ball gaze a bit. 
where do you think the indian fintech is heading in i think 5 years is too long as you rightly said but maybe in next 2 3 years hmm i mean i'm bullish for 5 and 10 years also again like i said before anand mahindra once said which i think is perfect that india uh is a blurry picture but a beautiful movie and i think that's true uh for the fintech ecosystem as well within the next sort of 2 to 5 years i think that we'll see much deeper and wider operationalization of things like the account aggregator stack oken the e-commerce stack yeah uh, and much kind of broader upi penetration in last mile areas uh which includes more fintechs integrating with those with those platforms um i think that there'll be more kind of further digital lending rules that come down the the pike and therefore kind of a change in how nbfc's and fintech lending happens perhaps in a bit more of a conservative way but companies will build and and adjust to it and continue to scale because the credit demand for both businesses and consumers in india is absolutely massive i think we will see consolidation in segments like wealth tech and payments where some of the larger okay. players both growth stage and the the large corporates will will bring in some innovation from the early stage companies earlier um and then i think indian legacy large businesses across sectors will start to modernize a bit more like the very old school sectors yeah uh, like manufacturing if you will as an example leveraging sort of the saas and fintech that exists in the market and then as i mentioned before i feel that there will be a different look and feel to the ux of fintech products um especially on the consumer side in the next 5 years given a much younger kind of savvier population with different aesthetic preferences and user preferences uh coming online right we're seeing all the trends for credit cards debit cards just skyrocketing yeah. so Not the enough. penetration of cards within 3 to 5 years will be much more absolutely and uh, melissa it was clearly visible because the amount of usage on credit card and debit card was off the roof during this diwali so amazing and good diwali for all our financial or fintech companies so yeah. on that very positive and optimistic note i would like to thank you it was amazing speaking to you and melissa if our listeners or our the founders who listen to us want to reach out to you what would be the best way to do that sure i would be thrilled to engage with with your listeners and and always happy to brainstorm with with people building or thinking of of building and wanting to just brainstorm around solving for fintech problems in india you can email us at hello@em.vc um as well as follow uh me on twitter which is my name so at melissa frackman um or at emvc uh and feel free to dm us there as well we're on all social media Uh we also are launching an internship fellowship program soon for younger folks who want to get deeper into India fintech and would love to to hear from folks on that as well. Excellent. We'll include all those details in the show notes. Thanks once again for coming on the show and spending time with us Melissa. It's it's a pleasure and and great to be here. Thank you again. That's it from India Fintech Diaries for this week. Do log on to our website indiafintechdiaries.com for exclusive content. We also cover fintech deep dives in our Substack newsletter so do subscribe. Until next time, mask on and stay safe.